Well, I'm going to start out at the beginning since evolution is all about, supposedly about the beginning. We're going to talk about uh, the beginning tonight. Let's just go to the beginning, Genesis 1-1, and we're going to read the verse without which you can't believe the rest of the Bible. So here it is. Are you ready? Let's read it together out loud. I got a lens and a zoom and an adjust up there, guys. But anyway, I can just read it out of here because you guys are good there. Ready? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, let's just read the first four words together. In the beginning, God. Now, if you believe these first four words of the Bible, then the rest is easy. All right? The first four words right there. In the beginning, God. Not in the beginning, hydrogen. Not in the beginning, Big Bang. Not in in the beginning, um, time and chance. But in the beginning, say it with me, God. On the other hand, if you accept a philosophy or a belief system that opposes the first four words of the Bible, you might as well throw the rest of the Bible out of the way. It's, it's, It's irrelevant to you. If you can't go with the first four words, the Bible is meaningless to you. If the first four words are not true, then none of it is true. Right? Amen. Now, let me ask you a question. Would you be offended if I burned a Bible right in front of you here tonight? If I just burned a Bible, just got my Bible up here and came down and poured lighter fluid on it, set it on fire, would that bother you? Would you be angry if I brought my Bible down and spit on it? That would bother you. That would bother you. What about if I started tearing the pages out in front of you and then I just stomped on them and trampled them? Would would that bother you? Would you have an inner reaction to that? Would it trouble you if I told you that this book is nothing more than a collection of myths and fables and there is nothing sacred or true about it, would you stay in this church? (laughs) Or if I said it's a book of lies that needs to be removed from society... Would that bother you? Now, even worse, if I said, we need to take the Bible off the bookshelves, out of the libraries, out of all educational institutions, and we need to have a massive book burning of these ridiculous and harmful Bibles, would you have a reaction to that? Would it deeply grieve you? That would offend you, I assume. All right? Then let me tell you tonight, That is exactly what the philosophy of evolution has done to the Bible. It's exactly what devolution has done to the Bible. All of those things is what evolution has done to the Bible. The philosophy of evolution has permeated every part of human society. From the sciences to the arts, religion to education the media to the museums, philosophy to theology, classrooms to Congress, and grammar schools to governments, everything has been permeated with the philosophy of evolution. If you're out there in the culture and you're around people that are not churched and maybe not Christians and you say, I don't believe in evolution, you are immediately labeled as ignorant, a low IQ, um, backward, antiquated, 
uh, ill-informed, stupid, you name it, that's the way you're going to be viewed. Evolution has become the world view of the entire world. Our children are educated and saturated in it every single day. I can remember going through elementary school, junior high, and, and being taught evolution from the get-go. I was taught evolution from the start, and so were you. Your own life and thinking has been shaped by evolution far more than you likely realize tonight. Listen to what one world-renowned ecologist said at a National Sigma Chi lecture. Quote, most enlightened persons now accept as a fact that everything in the cosmos, from heavenly bodies to human beings, has developed and continues to develop through evolutionary processes. Notice what he said. Most enlightened persons. The great religions of the West, he continues, have come to accept a historical view of creation. That means an evolutionary view. Evolutionary concepts are applied also to social institutions and to the arts. Indeed, most political parties, as well as schools of theology, sociology, history, or arts, did he say theology? Yes, he did. Teach these concepts and make them the basis of their doctrines. Amazing. It's amazing how a theory has been taught as fact accepted as fact, embraced as fact, where if you don't agree with it, you're ignorant. But listen, there is a reason, folks, and this is where I want to go tonight, that it's still called the theory of evolution. For it has never been conclusively proven. I want you to hang on to your hats and put on your thinking caps tonight because we're going to be thinking. God gave us all a brain. Amen? They say, well, Jeff, why would you go here? Because this teaching of evolution is one of the main reasons, I believe, we lose most of our young people once they go off to college. Because they have been taught evolution, and deep down in the seedbed of their souls, they have embraced evolutionary philosophy over the theology of the Bible that says, in the beginning, God. And if you reject the first four words of the Bible, how in the world can you embrace the rest of it? Because it's all about God. And all through the Bible, it says God created everything. Old Testament, New Testament, the, the Bible is a creation book. It is not in any way, shape, or form an evolutionary book. So we lose them. And, and I believe that deep down in many of our souls tonight are the underpinnings of evolutionary thought that still rise up and bug you sometimes, talk to you sometimes, make you wonder. That's why a lot of people won't come to a Bible, a Bible preaching, teaching church, because they believe if you teach the Bible as being the inerrant, irrefutable word of God, you are ignorant. Well, I'm going to tell you, I'm not ignorant. I'm very educated, and I have a good mind, and I have thought this through. If I were an atheist, I would have to think it through. The reason you need to think it through is because you've all been hit with this philosophy. You've all been told that we evolved, that we were not made, we were evolved. So there's a reason it's still called a theory, because it's still a theory. 
it's much like the issue of man-made global warming today. Now, I didn't say global warming. I said man-made. See, we're being told that man is destroying the climate. But there's always been global warming, global cooling. Do you know that there was a, and I don't need to go here for very long, but I'll tell you quickly. In the 70s, there was a Time magazine cover that said we were about to enter a new ice age. What happened to that? Don't tell me that today. We in no ice age. But that's what they thought in the 70s. And now it's the global warming thing, and it's all our fault that the, the uh, climate is warming at such a rapid rate and sea levels are rising, which they are not. But I didn't come tonight to talk about global warming. But we're being told it is conclusive that there is no dispute that if you don't believe in global warming, man-made global warming, you are a climate denier. Well, that's just ridiculous. I'm not a climate denier. I'm a th- I think about things, and I know that there is no such thing as man-made global warming. There is God-given global warming, and believe me, it's cool. God's got it all under control. Now, I can't begin to deal with all the ins and outs of evolution tonight in one sitting. No way that I can exhaustively treat it. But I want to tackle it on two fronts. And here's my two directions, the two things I want to deal with. First, the question of first cause. There had to be a beginning. There had to be a cause for a beginning. Something caused whenever the beginning began. Something caused it. And it's called first cause. Evolution has an answer for that, and the Bible has an answer for that. Second thing I want to deal with is is what Darwin called the origin of species. Where did all the species come from? From where did they originate? Those are the two things I want to deal with tonight. Those are two of the biggest claims of evolution that I believe we need to look at and think through and come to a conclusion about. Now, the number one question, that evolution must answer is the question Genesis already answers in the verse we read. And that is, how did it all begin? What was the first cause? In other words, what force or source was behind the appearance of the first matter and not to mention the first living thing? Because matter is not eternal, folks. Now, follow me. Matter is not eternal. Somewhere along the way, matter, that is, material things, what we see, hear, taste, touch, and smell, our material world and the matter that comprises it had to start somewhere. What was the first cause? What force, what source was behind the appearance of the first matter, not to mention the first living thing. Now, here's what evolution says. Evolution says the Big Bang did it. Everybody say Big Bang. That was a very funny show, sometimes. But listen, evolution says the Big Bang gave us matter. Now, let me read to you from their website, not a Christian website, their website, a Big Bang website, seriously, not the TV show, the the theory of the Big Bang, and I'm just going to quote it, and you're going to have to follow closely because this is hard to follow. But let let me dive in 
And listen to the way they describe what the Big Bang that gave us our first matter, how it happened. The Big Bang Theory, and notice again they call it theory, is an effort to explain what happened at the very beginning of our universe. Discoveries in astronomy and physics have shown beyond a reasonable doubt that our universe did in fact have a beginning. Prior to that moment, there was nothing. What does Genesis say? The earth was without form and void. Prior to that moment, there was nothing. During and after that moment, there was something. Our universe. The Big Bang Theory is an effort to explain what happened during and after that moment. Now here's where it gets muddled. Stay with me. According to the standard Big Bang Theory, our universe sprang into existence as, quote, singularity, I'm going to explain that in a minute, as singularity around 13.7 billion years ago. What is a singularity and where does it come from? Well, to be honest, we don't know for sure. Singularities are zones which defy our current understanding of physics. So we're talking about Zones, physics can't even understand. They are thought to exist at the core of black holes. Black holes are areas of intense gravitational pressure. The pressure is thought to be so intense in black holes that finite matter is actually squished into infinite density, a mathematical concept which truly boggles the mind. It's boggling mind right now. These zones of infinite density are called singularities. Our universe is thought to have begun as an infinitesimally small, infinitesimally small, infinitely hot, infinitely dense something, a singularity. This is from their site. I, I didn't make this up. I couldn't make this up. Where did it come from? Where did, now, now he's asking, where did the singularity come from? We don't know. Why did it appear? We don't know. After its initial appearance, it apparently inflated. Now notice the the verbiage here, apparently. They can't say conclusively, but apparently it inflated. The Big Bang, that was the Big Bang, when it inflated. When the singularity inflated, expanded and cooled, going from very, very small and very, very hot to the size and temperature of our current universe. And it continues to expand and cool to this day. And we are inside of it. (laughs) we got to say it together. I am inside, say it with me, of a singularity. Now, let me read. Incredible. Now, it continues to expand and cool to this day, and we are inside of it. Incredible creatures living on a unique planet, circling a beautiful star, clustered together with several hundred billion other stars in a galaxy soaring through the cosmos, all of which is inside of an expanding universe that began as an infinitesimal singularity which appeared out of nowhere for reasons unknown. End quote. I I read it, and you can go look it up yourself. The only reason I... 
chuckle at it, is, is the extent to which people who don't want to believe in God will go to explain the unexplainable unless you explain it via God did it. Notice the phrases in what we just read. We don't know. We don't know for sure. Reasons unknown. Boggles the mind. That's the Big Bang Theory. If this is the way our universe came about, then you've got to ask a logical question. Now, follow me carefully. You've got to ask a logical question. Where did the matter come from for the black hole? Now, we're going back to beginnings. We're, going, we're dealing with beginnings because we, we, we agree, right, that there, there was a beginning of material things, of mass of this material universe where you can stand on dirt and you have a material body. I'm sitting in a material chair and so are you. And, and we're, we are living in a material world. There had to be a beginning. And evolution says the Big Bang caused it when the singularity inflated, but in a black hole. But here's the deal. Where did the black hole come from, and where did the universe the black hole was in come from? We're dealing with the beginning. Now, if evolution is the way everything came about, it has to answer this because I don't care how far back you go, there had to be a time when the beginning began. Because, follow me, mass is not infinite. Mass had to have begun. It was either created or evolved. So, again, where did the matter come from for the black hole? And where did the universe come the black hole was in where the singularity sat and inflated and gave us material things? Boy, this is going to be fun on the radio. (laughs) Because here's the deal, folks. Something can't come from nothing. Something, mass, can't come from nothing unless Almighty God speaks something into being from nothing because God can speak something into being, ex nihilo, out of nothing, something. Only God can do that. But even when God creates, there was a God there that made something come out of nothing. But if you want to do away with God, tell me how something will ever come out of nothing. It can't. Now let me give you another question. Where did the black hole come from? Or the universe that contained it come from? And who or what triggered the reaction that caused this unexplained matter to explode? And where did the energy come from that sparked the explosion? In other words, we're going back. Let's go where the beginning began. Now, let me use an illustration for you. Let's make it simple. Illustration of a box. Think of, think of, just think of a box, cardboard box, and picture our universe as a big box uh, that we are all living inside of. We're all inside of this big box, all of us. We're in it right now. We're locked up inside the box trying to figure out the origin of the box. We're in the box looking around at the box saying, where did the box come from? 
We have no idea what is on the outside of the box because we're inside the box. The only way you can know what is on the outside of the box is if somebody visits us who has been outside the box and comes into the box and tells us what's outside the box. And I'm going to tell you who did that. His name is J-E-S-U-S. But now, let me just, let's just continue down the evolutionary trail for a minute. We have no idea what's in the outside of the box, but this much we do know. If we are on the inside of the box, there must be an outside. The inside of the box is time and space and material things. The outside of the box is eternity and infinity. We therefore have two possible choices when trying to answer the question of first cause and where everything came from. The first choice, endless time and random chance, because that's evolution's teaching. Evolutionary teaching is like this. It's a religion, because you have to believe what I'm about to tell you, that given, given infinite time and crazy chance, all the time in all the world, billions and billions and billions of years, giving it all that, all the time needed, and chance, those two conspired together to create matter and life. That it's a chance creation. It's a chance event. Not an intentional creation, but a chance event. You've got to believe that. So you've got all kinds of faith in time and chance. And let me tell you something, that takes way more faith than to believe in an almighty creator God. Matter of fact, it's preposterous to think such a thing. But let me go on. So your first choice, if you're going to give an account for everything around us, is endless time and random chance gave us our universe. The second choice, God is eternal. He created all matter out of sheer will. He organized it into an expanding universe containing life. Those are your only two choices. Now, be very careful how you answer the question of first cause. Oh, please hear me on this. And I wish I could say this to all the high schools and junior highs and elementary schools in the entire United States of America. Be very careful how you answer the question of first cause. Because the way you answer that question is going to shape your entire worldview. You're either going to believe in the beginning, God, or in the beginning, chance. It's going to impact everything in your life and in your eternal destiny. What you decide. Now, for me, the only reasonable and logical conclusion is there is a God. And I think that's logical. It's not just a matter of faith for me. It's logical for me. It makes sense. I look around. This is clearly designed. He created all matter that exists as the Bible claims. And he has a great and glorious purpose behind what he is doing. I really believe that if you will put aside all assumptions and prejudices and all the evolutionary gobbledygook you were taught in school and look at all the observable evidence before you, you will have to conclude that surely all this is not some kind of a cosmic accident where you had trillions of years of time and chance until finally... Life came to be, the universe came to be, and all the species around us came to be, and you came to be. 
We are too fearfully and wonderfully made to be an accident. The universe is not random. It's orderly. The universe does not appear to be driven by chance, but it's driven by choice, God's choice. Think about it. This vast, immense universe runs like a fine-tuned watch. What would you do if I told you I have a watch here? If I told you, uh, you know, I was walking along uh, in a desert one day, and I saw this poking up out of the sand, and I picked it up and thought, look what sand hath made. I mean, it runs, it's keeping time, it's perfectly round, it's made to be on my wrist, it's clearly designed for a purpose. And there's no way you would ever come to any other conclusion. How can we look at what's around us and say, it happened by accident, it happened by chance? It doesn't make any sense. That, doesn't, that does not give us, give us any ground to stand on for a first cause. The first cause was God. Now, say, let's say the first four words again. In the beginning, God. The Apostle Paul wrote that it's the creation itself that irrefutably testifies of God. Romans 1.20, ever since the creation of the world, men have seen the earth and sky and all that God made and have known of his existence and great eternal power. So they will have no excuse when they stand before God at Judgment Day. Here's what he's saying. When Judgment Day comes and those who have rejected Christ, rejected the gospel, rejected every prick of their conscience on the part of the Holy Ghost to bring them to him, and they've gone their own way and stayed in sin, when they go before him, one of the things that's going to judge them is the testimony of creation. As a matter of fact, two things will judge unbelieving men, the testimony of their conscience and the testimony of creation. Their conscience has been, a God-given conscience was built in every one of us. We know right from wrong inherently. And, and there's all kinds of times we choose to do wrong and, and, and disobey our conscience. Now, the conscience teaches us of right and wrong, and so does the creation. And he says, they will have no excuse because the, the creation declares the glory of God. His eternal existence and his great eternal power. So they, have, they stand before God at the judgment day, they'll have no excuse. God will say to them, you saw my creation. I thought, I thought it evolved. And you know what God will say to them? You knew. You know how I can say that? Because it says they have known of his existence. My dad was an agnostic for years, and I witnessed to him for years. My dad was an intellectual um, he was a very, very intelligent man, but he, he rejected Christ for years. One day, I'm serious now, I'm sitting at the table and I'm eating some cereal in the morning. My dad comes walking in out of the backyard. He says, you know, Jeff, he said, there is no way that that out there just happened. I almost choked on my cream of wheat. Let me tell you. And I said, yeah, and he said, no, I was just watching a squirrel in a tree. And it just occurred to me, there is no way that that just happened. Something made that. I said, Dad, what do you think I've been telling you for years? I had the joy of leading my dad to Christ in, in his car a few years before he went on to be with the Lord. But you know what first spoke to him? The creation. He was just out there looking. 
And the creation spoke to him and said, there's no way this just happened. So the creation preaches. He also said, Paul wrote, that God's wrath is revealed from heaven because the ungodly suppress the truth of his reality that is so obvious all around them. Listen to verses 18 and 19 of Romans 1. But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people. What do they do? Read it with me. Who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They, say it with me, they know the truth. Say it again. They know the truth. That's why I don't believe that there are any real atheists. Really, Jeff? You don't believe there's any real atheists? No, I don't. I think there's some real good suppressors. But I don't believe there's any real atheists. Because the Bible right here tells me. They know. They may deny it. They may try to talk themselves out of it. But let God be true and every man a liar. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. I believe that evolution's claim of a Big Bang, if you want to know my deepest thoughts about this, here it is. I believe that their claim of a Big Bang which their own website describes with the words, we don't know, we're not sure, we don't know for sure, is a monumental effort at suppressing the truth about God. That's why I call it devolution, because I believe evolution is a lie from the pit. Now, secondly, let's look for a moment at evolution's next big claim, that life on earth evolved gradually, beginning with one primitive species, perhaps a self-replicating molecule, a single-celled organism that lived more than 3.5 billion years ago. It then branched out. Listen to this claim. Put on your thinking hats with me. Look at this claim that this self-replicating molecule, a single-celled organism, branched out over time, throwing off many new and diverse species And the mechanism for most but not all of evolutionary change is natural selection. Now, just to brush you up a little bit on natural selection, take you back to your science classes in high school, let me tell you what it is. Natural selection, it's simple. It's the process whereby organisms better adapted to their environment tend to survive and produce more offspring. We call it the survival of the fittest. The fittest is going to survive. The weaker is going to die off. Survival of the fittest. That's natural selection. So let's bottom line it. According to devolution, all of the thousands of species of life evolved from one ancient single-celled ancestor. Are you with me? Let me tell you what this requires. That one species, the first, because there had to be a first species, right? Whatever it was, there had to be a first one because we're going back to beginnings. So there's been this big bang. Now there is the universe. And now somewhere in some primordial soup somewhere, billions and billions of years ago, a single-celled organism rises to the top of this primordial pond, eventually sprouts legs and steps out. And whatever it was, it was the first species. It had to be a, there had to be a first one. This is the beginning of all things. And I'm talking evolution now, not creation, but evolution. So from this 
little single-celled organism, eventually over billions of years of time and chance, everything, all of life that we see came to be. For that to happen, that little single-celled organism had to have experienced a mutation, a genetic mutation that spawned another species altogether, like a dog experiencing a genetic mutation that over kajillions of years eventually produced a mockingbird. (laughs) I'm just telling you. There had to be an original species, whatever it was. And from that original single-celled organism that became the first species, everything else came. Now, held up against this claim is the Bible's claim, that species reproduce only after their kind. Now, I want you to say with me, that's a law. Here here is a law that God, I'm going to go ahead and say it, God created, that God wired into the universe that, that only, that a species can only reproduce after its kind. You will never have a mammal having a genetic mutation that produces a bird. A species can only reproduce after its kind. Sixteen times, I counted them, I've never done that before, but I counted them today. Sixteen times in the first seven chapters of Genesis, the phrase, after his kind is used to describe the way that God created life. And nine of those times is found in the creation account of Genesis 1. Nine times in Genesis chapter 1 alone, the phrase after their kind, his kind, is used. Now, let's just talk about botany, vegetation. Look what God says in Genesis 1, 11, and 12 about vegetation. Then God said, let the earth bring forth grass the herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit. What are the next four words? According to its kind. That's a law. Whose seed is in itself. Everything living has within itself the seed to reproduce itself. Now, And it was so. Now look at verse 12. And the earth brought forth grass, the earth that yields seed. How? According to its kind. And the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself. How? According to its kind. And God saw that that was good. That's the way God made the world. That's the way the world's wired. Now, folks, you've got to understand that is an irrefutable, inescapable law. That's a natural law. You can't get away from that. Even though evolutionists have so badly tried to prove otherwise, you can't get away from one thing must reproduce. Any species can only produce something according to its kind. Regarding animal life, he says in verse 24, Then God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind. Cattle and creeping thing and beast of the earth. How? Each according to its kind. And it was so. And God made the beast of the earth. How? According to its kind. Cattle, y'all got to go with me here. Cattle, according to its kind. Everything that creeps on the earth, according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Irrefutable, inescapable law of life. You cannot get away from that, though the evolutionists have really, really tried. 
So God makes it clear that in all that he made, species produce after their kind, and they cannot produce other species. Now, for instance, you have tons of different kinds of dogs, but they're all dogs. You have all kinds of different birds, but they're all birds. And and I know what you're thinking. Well, Pastor Jeff, I know in botany they take one kind of flower, a rose, and they cross it with another kind of flower, and they come up with a totally different flower. Yes, but it's still a flower. You haven't created a new species. You've just created a new adaptation. Now, evolution claims that with endless time and chance, the first species, whatever that was, mutated and ultimately produced a brand new species. And, and evolutionary scientists call this speciation. Speciation. Well, we'll learn some words tonight. Everybody say speciation. This is not the same thing. Please understand this. Speciation is not the same thing as a species adapting to its environment by slight changes in its appearance, which, is the, which is, happens all the time. That is an ability that God gave to the species for their survival. The ability to blend into the surrounding environment can come in handy when trying to avoid a predator, especially for those animals with little else in their defense arsenal. So you've got all kinds of animal species, insect species, like scorpion fish and leaf frogs that can change their appearance to match their surrounding. Have you ever come up on a critter, on some creature, like on a tree, and you didn't know he was there until you were right up on him because he looked just like the tree? That is not speciation. That's adaptation. Because God gave species the ability to adapt to their environment to save their own skins. But speciation, folks, or genetic mutation that produces a brand new species requires that there had to have been. Now, follow me. I know this is, we're really swimming through some stuff here, but this is good. I want you to listen with me. Think with me. Speciation or genetic mutation that produces a brand new species requires that there had to have been countless successes and failures over a long period of time until finally a mutation occurred that adapted and survived. Like, let's just say, you have the first frog, and he begins to experience a genetic mutation. And, boy, all these mutations are happening inside this poor little frog. And, and there, there is something that evolution is trying to bring about, a brand-new species that won't be frog at all, but it will be a, a, a butterfly. So he's going through mutations and mutations and mutations. This poor little frog is going through it because this is taking lots of time because what you're having is success, failure after failure after failure of these mutations because every mutation is trying to adapt and it can't adapt because it's not strong enough so it dies off. And finally evolution produces a mutation that is able to survive and fly and become a butterfly. The question is, what happened to all those failed mutations in the fossil record? You know what? We ought to be finding endless fossil records showing 
all the failed mutations it would have taken for one little single-celled organism to finally produce all the vast variety of living things we see today. Our fossil records would be loaded with all the failed mutations. And you know what? We don't find those fossil records. They aren't there. Everybody say Shazam. There's no fossil record that conclusively shows a species undergoing endless mutations that eventually produces another species. Haven't they tried this with ape to man? It's called the missing link. How long have they been looking for the missing link? And haven't we discovered that, that when they claim to have found skulls or skeletons or something that would prove that man evolved from ape, we found out that believers in evolution had altered those skulls intentionally, and it was a fraud. That they have never found the missing link. That there ought to be tons of mutations in the, in the fossil record. They're not there. Does everybody say, I feel like I'm in science class? You're not. You're in theology class. There's no fossil record. You know what? Even Darwin himself wondered. Why? Listen to Darwin. Why? If species have descended from other species by insensibly fine gradations, do we not everywhere see innumerable transitional forms? We don't. They're not there. You know why? Because they never were. You know why? Because all of this did not come from a single-celled organism crawling out of some primordial sea. We came from God said. God said. Darwin expected to see certain evidence in the fossil record of his theory was true, but it wasn't there. When asked why they couldn't be found, Darwin replied, quote, to the question why we do not find records of these vast primordial periods, I can give no satisfactory answer. He also considered the sheer impossibility of just one part of the human body, the eyeball, evolving from endless time and chance. Listen to what he said about the eyeball. To suppose, this is Darwin. To suppose that the eye, with all its inimitable contrivances for adjusting the focus to different distances, for emitting different amounts of light, and for the correction of spherical and chromatic aberration, good Lord, could have been formed by natural selection, seems, I freely confess, absurd in the highest possible degree. That's from the man who gave us Origin of the Species. But you're not going to hear this one quoted in high school, are you? The first four words in the Bible answer for us the question of first cause. Let's say it again. In the beginning, God. That's the first cause, God. Not a big bang because you can't account for it. And the explanation for all the thousands of species is also found in the first four words of Genesis. Let's say it again. In the beginning, God said, let there be birds, let there be light, let there be fishes of the sea, let there be mammals. He created all of it with the word. And evolution's explanation for the thousands of species having come from endless genetic mutations is shot down by the simple phrase, after his kind, because you can't produce 
another species, one species from another. It will not happen. I know this was heavy stuff tonight. I'm sweating. <laughs> I'm sweating up here. But you know what? Don't we need to understand this? We need to understand this. We need to look at this. I, I'm not at all afraid of looking at Darwin and scrutinizing Darwin and saying, it doesn't make any sense. It's a theory. It doesn't hold water. And way more scientists don't believe it than you would imagine. A lot of them are just making their living off it so they can never renounce it. Well, I hope you got something out of it tonight. 